Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Get my first slide up there so I know what day it is and what I'm preaching about. Um, So if you were here when I messed up the date, I actually did it again this morning. And after I exported my slides, I was looking, I was like, it's not February 6th. So I updated it. So we're off to a great start. Now, if you have been here, you kind of know where we have been. If you haven't, let me get get you up up to date. We have been talking about gardens, that life is a garden, and that throughout the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, this garden imagery and metaphor gets used in different places and for different reasons. And so we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we have been blazing through the Bible. That's a joke, because today we're in Genesis chapter 3. So we haven't been blazing. We've been taking it slow, because there's, this is the beginning of the whole story. And if you, if you get the beginning right, it sets you up for all that is to come. And if you get the, the first couple pages skewed in any way, it can send you off in different directions for the upcoming story. So if you haven't been with us, or if you've missed a week, um, you can go to our website, newgarden.church/2022. It's got all the slides that we use. So if I go through something and you can't either see it or go too quick, you can go back and look at the slides, some of the handouts that we've handed out, and the lessons that we have recorded. Oh man, I, I didn't. Hey, um, Charles and Leslie, are you recording the audio? Okay, can you go back and start the video? The cam- Did we start the camera? I didn't start it. It was my job, and I forgot. Because I don't, I don't want people to email me and say, where is it? But now this reminded me, so they'll, they'll get into it. So they'll miss all that first stuff. It won't matter. Um, so where we have been, we, we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we've said every week, Genesis 1, the, the first kind of creation narrative, paints a large-scale picture of God's establishment of cosmic order with his divine images, that's us, who represent his rule, so that the world becomes a sacred space for his presence to dwell. That we are the divine image bearers, and we are, he wants to partner with humanity to just make this world a great place where he and his presence can dwell with us and in this place. But as we're going to see today, things don't stay that way. And so we've been kind of uh, charting our way now through chapter 2, which is, again, it kind of mirrors each other, but we started with humanity being created and placed in the garden, and then we talked about how man and women, a woman were created to be unified together. And then today we're getting into chapter 3, and we're going to find this dialogue between the snake and the woman, and we're going to find the woman and the man eat from the forbidden tree. And next week we will talk about God's response to that. So we're going to read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
only seven verses today. So I'm going to read through it, probably a very familiar story, and then we'll kind of go back and look at it a little bit slower. So here's, here's how the story presents itself. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Okay, so again, pretty familiar uh, story that we've, we've read, but so much going on in here. But before we, we get to this, let's back up to the end of what we ref- reference as chapter 2, because it kind of sets up the story. So this is how the story gets set up. At the very end, in verse 25, it says, And the human and his Isha, his woman, his wife, were both naked, but they were not ashamed. So the introduction, we find the man and the woman, they're in the garden, everything's good, they're naked, but there's like this, either a lack of awareness or just a, there's no care about it. Now, for those of us who are normal, like anytime we don't have clothes on, there is this sense of insecurity at, you know, at, at best. Um, the, this, your pride is taken away, you know, you want to be covered. But they're, they're experiencing a, a life that they don't feel that. They don't feel insecurity. And uh, they don't feel that natural need to hide. And so it sets up the man and the woman. They are naked but not ashamed. And then we find a new character. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, again, English translations are doing their best job to give us a a good English understandable thing that we can connect to. But sometimes you, you just can't do the best that you can when you switch from the original language. Because these two words, naked and cunning, are a little bit connected, okay? So in the Hebrew, it says the human and his wife were both arom. Kids, can you say arom? Arom, okay? But the serpent was more arum. Say arum. Arum. Okay, so it makes you stop and think, okay, I wonder if the serpent's arumness is going to have any effect on the human's aromness. We're like, yeah. I think so. And, and, and one thing that the, uh, the translators do is they put in this word cunning, which kind of, again, it, it, it twists the meaning a little bit to make you think, okay, this, this serpent's got something going on. But if you read the, the use of our room throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's often used in connection to just wisdom. 
Um, for instance, a few family Sundays ago, we talked about how the, the wise see danger and they take shelter, but the fool, they, they don't see it and they suffer harm. Well, that word, went the, the, the wise, is the word arum. The arum see danger and they take shelter. Um, other places in Proverbs, it's connected to wisdom, it's connected to knowledge. And so I think instead of portraying the serpent up front as a deceptive, devious character, I think what the author is trying to do is say, listen, this serpent has something that can be used one way or another. It can be used for good. Arumness can be used for good, but we're going to see that the serpent doesn't use his arumness or its arumness for good, okay? So that's just the, the first thing. Now, so we, we get this introduction. They are arom, right? But they're not ashamed. Then we get a dialogue, which has three parts. We have the serpent speaking, then we have the woman replying, and then we have the serpent speaking again. So the serpent, he says to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, for those of us who have been following along or who have read this story, is this what God has told the human? You're not allowed to eat from any tree in the garden. No. What does God say? Exactly. Exactly. God doesn't say don't eat from any. He says eat from all of the trees. Like, have a ball. Go eat from all of them except just one. Like, there's this just one tree that I'm telling you, don't eat from it. Because if you do, listen, the consequences are not going to be good. And so the serpent, again, I think he's arum, right? Because he's, he, it's like when you go to Mexico or somewhere and you're like bartering with somebody and they're like, my friend, my friend, come here, you know? And they're like, oh, I'll give you a good deal. And, and, and they make you feel like the smart one, you know, like you're getting a deal. But in the end, you walk away and you're like, I think I paid more than what the price was, you know? Like the this, this serpent, he's luring the woman in. Like, oh, you correct me because I don't know what's going on here. And then once she thinks she's the smart one, then the serpent can do his work. So she says, oh, well, no, that's not, that's not what God said. From the fruit of the, fruit of the trees of the garden, we can eat. But from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. And then she adds this, or touch it, which you wonder, okay, how did she get to that? Maybe that's a natural thing, you know, like my kids, if I'm like, hey, don't, you know, don't do that then they set like an extra boundary. Or maybe Finn tells Evie, you know, don't even go in the room, something like that. Um, so it kind of, it comes out of it. Or, or you're going to die. And the serpent says to the woman, no. Listen, God's, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. You're not, you're not going to die. In fact, you'll become like God. You'll be like God in that you will know good and bad, Ra and Tove and and so the serpent just plants this seed of doubt in the woman's mind. And I think one thing that we can learn, especially kids and adults too, is this. We can't let the enemy have the last word. I imagine if the story had four dialogues. The serpent speaks, the woman responds, the serpent speaks again, and the woman responds with some sort of truth from God of like, no, we, 
we are called to be partners with God to trust him, how the story would go differently. I think about Jesus in the New Testament. He speaks with the same uh, deceptive character, right? But instead of letting the enemy have the last word, this is, this is how the story is portrayed in Matthew 4. And this is kind of tiny. But Jesus, he's led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter slithers into the scene and says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus responds. He answers, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil took him along into the holy city and let him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and on their hands, they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus responded and said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, imagine if the story ended there. Jesus went off to ponder the enemy's words, right? No, Jesus isn't going to give the devil a footstool, right? It's like, I'm not going to let you have the last word, devil. Instead, Jesus says, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to serve him. Again, a different story when we don't let the, the enemy's words settle and marinate in our minds. But we have some sort of ammunition to fight back against. In this case, Jesus's fight back wasn't some self-help book. It wasn't some TV show quote. It, wasn't either, it was the word of God, specifically the Old Testament that he had just lived in and was able to use against the enemy. He doesn't let the enemy have the last word. So you've got this dialogue. But the woman... She allows Satan to put, again, a seed of doubt in her mind. And so we have this act that follows. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there's some, you know, when, if you're trying to turn this into a movie, you've got to make some decisions on how you're going to film it. Um, you could film it that you have, uh, and a lot of times this is how it is. You've got the woman and apparently the man is, is with her, and then you have the tree right here, and a lot of times the serpent is, you know, kind of snaking up the tree and sticking his head out, and it's like the woman is having the dialogue with the snake, and the tree is right there. But you could also read it like this. They, they're having this dialogue, and she says, no, we're not allowed to eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, as if that's not where she is right now. Um, you know, otherwise she'd be like, we're not allowed to eat from this tree right here, but the one that's in the middle. So there may be some separation as if she's gone and she's gotten her, her man and, and, take, and taken him to the tree to kind of look at it and think about what the, the enemy has spoken to her. Um, but again, it, the, the text doesn't make it clear, but it's, it's interesting to think about. Those times in our lives where we, you know, we think something, that seed is planted, and then we just step a little bit closer to that whatever that is, and we start to look at it and say, hmm, 
I'll put myself in a position where something just might happen to me instead of me really happening to it. And if that happens to me, then it's not really my fault, but it's something I want. And, and so, so you have this, this, uh, this tension. What's the woman going to do? But the woman, she sees the tree, that it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate, and then she gave some to her husband who was also with her. Now, this, uh, this sentence, this act, gets replayed over and over and over in different ways to character after character in the Bible. These words of she saw, what did she see? That something looked good, and then she took it for herself, okay? So just remember those words, saw, good, take. If you flip forward a few chapters in Genesis chapter 6, you have this strange story about the sons of God, which we could get into, but we're not going to. But, but, but key on the, the key words. So it came about when mankind began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw, same word, that the daughters of mankind were literally tove, good. They saw that they were good, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And so you have this spiritual rebellion uh, in the sons of God taking female humans. Genesis chapter 12, when Abram, Abram's story, now it came about when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that his wife was very beautiful. It's a different word than good, but similar. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And God sends all kinds of curses on Pharaoh's house. Abraham doesn't learn his lesson, but um, in chapter 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian her slave woman, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. The verse 6, but Abram said to Sarai, look, your slave woman is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your eyes. In Joshua chapter 7, the people have entered into the promised land, and they're fighting battles, and they end up losing a battle that they should have won, and they're trying to figure out why did we lose this? And so they cast lots to figure out what has happened. And so, um, so Achan answered Joshua. Joshua cast lots, finds out it's this one guy who is, who's stolen something. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a tove, good robe from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I wanted them and took them. And behold, they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Um, perhaps another guy you've heard of, King David, 2 Samuel 11. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, when David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now at evening time, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very tove, good in appearance. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
Then David sent messengers and literally, the word, took her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Genesis chapter 2. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and she took it for herself. Is this not like our everyday life? God has said, hey, here's a path to life. And on this other path, there are going to be things that look good to your eyes, but I'm telling you, they're going to lead down paths that you don't want to go. And what do we do? We look, we think, man, that looks good, and we, t- we take it for ourselves. And we end up facing the consequences. Like, this is, this is what we teach our children. You know, we test them by putting a plate in front of them with marshmallows. And we're like, listen, if you can just wait, I'll put another marshmallow, you know? I'll put another marshmallow, to, just to see how long they can go before they just take something for themselves. See, we face the same choice every day, to do what is good in our eyes or submit to the wisdom and instruction of God. Because the tree of life, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, I don't think it was some magical, special tree that like had some sort of you know, genetic something that when took it, something crazy happened. I think it was, it was a test that if the man and the woman had said no to the tree, then that itself would have given them the wisdom of good and bad. That's one step of knowing good and bad because I'm, I'm saying no to what God has said no to, and I'm trusting God has my best interest in mind. And I'm listening to God. I'm submitting to his wisdom and his instruction. Because even though it looks good, and you take it for yourself, here's the outcome. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. It came true. But some, a different reality. It's not just that they know good and bad and they're like God. Now they know that they were naked. They were Aram. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. And so it's interesting that now they, they've taken from the tree and then they've almost become trees themselves, covering themselves in leaves. Because there's another tree in the garden. It, it, it paints the picture as if the trees are right next to each other, the tree of knowing good and bad. And then there's this other tree known as the tree of life. And I imagine, you know, standing there, looking at both of them, saying, I have access. I have access to all the trees, but I have access to the tree of life. But there's the one thing that I know I shouldn't have that I want the most. And it's a question of trust. Even though I don't understand it, do I trust what God has said? Even though I don't need to know all the answers, will I trust what God has said? In our bedroom, um, we have this exercise ball. You know, it's like this big and it's bouncy. And you can sit on it. And our kids love to play on it. Um, and we, like, we sit them on, we bounce, and we roll around, and we keep our, our hands on them, you know, make sure they don't fall off. But yesterday, Evie, she, she grabs a hold of the bed, and she's, like, trying to climb up on the ball. And I'm like, Evelyn, you can't do that. You're not allowed to stand on the ball. And she's like, why? I'm like, well, I could make a long list, you know? I see the bookshelf you could hit your head on. I see the dresser you could hit your head on. You could 
twist your ankle, you could break your neck, you could hurt your wrist, you could fall into the wall and dent the wall, you could, you know, there's all, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. But instead, will you, will you just trust me? That I know if you do this, it's not going to turn out well. And I think God is he's the same father figure asking us every day, God, why can't I do this? Why can't I go there? Why can't I be with it? And God's just saying, listen, I could, I could try to explain it to you, but will you just trust me that I know and I'm wise and I want what's best for you? But because we, we also have access to that same tree of life. You know, how do we get back to the tree of life? We access the tree of life through Jesus. He is this new bearer of wisdom and life. And each week we come to a table to remind us of that access, of, of that one who at every instance, when the enemy whispered something in his ear, he had an answer for. When every instance he wanted to go a different direction but submitted to the will of the Father, even to death on a cross. And he was glorified through it. We take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we remember all that Jesus is and all he did for us so that we can return to that garden to be with God, both in the present but also for eternity. So in a few minutes, we're going to come to the table. We're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup. And, and, and I want us to remember it's a choice. This is us each week saying, I submit to the will of the Father. I submit to the lordship of Jesus. I submit to the sacrifice that he made for me that I can't do everything on my own, but my salvation is only through the blood of, in the name of Jesus. But it's also a reminder of each day, I can trust in God. Um, when we bought our van, our brand new eight-year-old van a few months ago, there was a CD that the previous owner had left in there, and it was a kid's worship CD. There are five songs. They're each about two minutes, and we've probably listened to each of them a thousand times already. Um, but there is one song called, I Can Trust in God. And it says, I can trust in God no matter what. I can trust in God with all my heart. Um, whether things are good or whether things are bad, I can trust in God. And, and that plays in my head over and over, this kid's song. But that's, if, we could, if we could get that and, and grasp that, our lives would be so much better and fuller. Um, I want to play one four-minute video from the Bible Project talking about the tree of life, and once that's over, let's stand and let's go to the tables together. See this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies. The story of the Bible begins in a garden where God and humans live together. And the biblical authors want us to see this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is most intense. And that's where we find the tree of life. 
So, what's this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the trees, including this one. So you're ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense. Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. And when humans do that, It leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question, can anyone ever get back to the tree of life? Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses, and he encounters God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush, where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground. Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power, just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, bring your people up to this mountain so we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice. Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self-destruction, exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Well, let's turn now to the story of Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world. And Jesus invited people to eat from him. Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time, they don't just choose death. They also chose to attack the one who sustains all of life. Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way. But Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place. Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you're invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And so the story of the Bible ends in a new garden, which is also a kind of temple, with the tree of life at its center, providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it.
That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.